0: we up to uh, Joshua chapter 3, the crossing of the Jordan, and uh, just start off in verse 1 before we go any further. Joshua rose up early in the morning. Now that is noted about Joshua. If you want to scribble it down, Joshua 6 verse 12, uh, 7 verse 16, 8 verse 10. He rises up early in the morning and does things. Uh, don't forget, this is before the days of alarm clocks, and to actually force yourself to get up in the morning when you don't have an alarm clock is uh, is quite difficult. I mean, to, to rise up uh, very early is, uh, is, is difficult. It's a, an absolute act of the will. So we see there, I think, uh, a characteristic that God took note of and has recorded down the, uh, the millennia, really, just a little note that he made that Joshua got up early in the morning to do, to do God's work and I know everybody's body clock and the, the way we're wired is slightly different but I would say that the message is of a disciplined life and not wasting time and realizing that we actually have an aim in our lives Okay, so they, they lodge there um, for three days before they passed over well they lodged in full view then of jericho because if we read in verse 16 the people uh, passed right over uh, right against or right opposite jericho now, it's only a few kilometers from the jordan river to biblical jericho And so this would appear, humanly speaking, to be a very unwise tactic. Surely the uh, the sort of the the militarily wise way to do it would have been to send an advance guard over, knock out uh, Jericho, and then... To bring all the uh, all the people over but instead the whole people uh, stand there uh, or camp there in full view of Jericho who for sure had their uh, spies and their, um, their men out there looking at these people uh, and then they, they do it so slowly uh, etc. But this is the way God works is it not? that we are fools for christ's sake and of course the fact that they do it at the very time when jordan has overflowed its banks when it's the hardest to cross at that time again god it's not that he makes life difficult but he does have a way to him of Uh, testing our faith to the utmost by making the situations that that we face sometimes so difficult and it seems to me that sometimes so many things humanly speaking go wrong in our lives that uh, that must be of God that some days some moments some hours so many little things go wrong that that could not possibly be chance that that clearly is the hand of God and this is not, although in the heat of the moment we might feel that that's God kind of being uh, being kind of mean, this is how he glories to work, by setting us up in a hopeless situation and then pulling us through. Now why were they lodging there, verse 2, for three days? Well, I suggest it was to help them to meditate upon the similarity with with the Red Sea crossing because quite clearly what we've just read here is intended to be seen as a a repetition in essence of what happened at the Red Sea. And all the way through this this chapter you see those similarities being brought out. What's the purpose of that? It seems to me that God purposefully makes situations and circumstances repeat within our lives you have that sense of deja vu that i have already seen this that i've been here in essence and not only within our own lives but between your life and uh, say my life or your life and the life of another brother or sister that you know and also similarities between your situations our situations and a biblical situation And the closer you you read scripture, and the more familiar you are with the text, the more you start to to see those similarities. Um, Of course, the whole point of that is that life is not a set of random events. There is meaning attached to event in, in human life. And we are helped in that by having these connections between what's going on in our lives and what has gone on earlier. And so... Or what's going on in someone else's life, and so the similarity between the Red Sea crossing and, and the crossing of the Jordan is absolutely intended and as I say that the more we examine life, our lives and the nature of the situ- situation, circumstances within the more I think we start to perceive that really and truly we are being intended to take a lesson and encouragement from that meeting of circumstance or maybe meeting of mind between ourselves and and somebody else. Now, Rahab, uh, we had this yesterday, Joshua 2 verse 10, mentioned to the spies that the men of Jericho were terrified at the way Israel's God had dried up the Red Sea. Now, there were Israel coming at Jericho from the east of Jordan. And I think that she is saying that uh, we heard that you've dried up the Red Sea. The implication is, and of course, the Jordan, which is our natural line of defense, uh, could be dried up just as easily. So I think that she had this idea that their natural line of defense was going to be dried up. And I think Joshua and Caleb envisaged the drying up of Jordan when they said their defense is departed from them. That's Numbers 14, verse 9. And looking up that word departed, their defense is departed from them, it means literally to be held up or to be turned off from them. Which is exactly what happened to the water, of course, as we just read, the, the water of Jordan. So their defense, what was Jericho's defense, it was the river Jordan, uh, the defense against Israel coming at them from the east they saw Joshua and Caleb saw it with the eye of faith that this had already happened that it had been taken away from them now they've been told in Joshua one verse eleven that they were going to pass over uh, the, the Jordan um, Get your, get your food ready because within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go and to possess the land. Well, this is rather typical. They didn't know how they were going to pass over Jordan because Jordan was flooded at this time. They were not told how in practice. They were just told that they were going to do it. They were going to achieve it. And that is, I think, how it is with God. God, of course, does not explain in practical, mechanical detail how we are going to get through our various issues in life, but the, and above all, into his kingdom. But this is, of course, the, the challenge of faith, that it will happen, and our continual worry about how mechanically things are going to work out, how humanly they're going to work out, this is the, the test of faith. Now, of course, once they went over Jordan, they were in hostile country, surrounded by these Canaanites, who they had been told 40 years ago, or 38 years ago, were very aggressive and powerful, and once they were over that Jordan, there was no easy way back, and I think that is emphasized at the end of our chapter 3, in verse 17, where The point is made that they passed clean over Jordan, the King James says. They passed completely over Jordan. And it's repeated in 4 verse 1, when all the people were clean or were totally passed over Jordan. So it was a total passing over. And this is the way that that God works. We are led forward uh, in ways that make it increasingly difficult, thank God, to actually go back. And this is the whole point of keeping in with God in, in his leadership and where he is leading us on the journey. The, the, the more you let him lead you, actually, the harder it is to go back. Of course, you can go back. like Israel I want to go back to Egypt. Um, but in, in this case, for them to sneak back over Jordan, especially at a time when it was overflowing its banks with all their women and kids and all that, would have been very, very difficult. Now, they had followed the pillar of cloud and fire for all those years, and now it would seem that that leadership was not available anymore. Instead, here this chapter emphasizes they ought to follow the ark. Well, the the ark was, in a human sense, a box of wood. It was not the miraculous presence of fire and cloud. And now they're told, you must follow the ark forward. Well... I would say that the following of the uh, pillar of fire and cloud was to educate them, to try to teach them through miracles that they were to follow. And so God can sort of be gentle with you in, in, in a way, particularly when we're first baptised in very sort of visible ways. He works in our lives to help us realise that he's leading us uh, very clearly in our lives. And then that may disappear somewhat. Uh, and the leadership is still there, the guidance is still there, but in a different way, because he's hoping, I guess, that we have learnt that he is leading me and I am to follow, even if it is in less, uh, let's say, miraculous or dramatic ways. Now, <clears throat> the Ark of the Covenant represents uh, the Lord Jesus. I think that's, uh, that that's quite clear. And I think that is how we are led uh, as we mature spiritually to to being guided by christ and what do i mean by that i don't necessarily mean that he uh, sort of radios down from heaven to us uh, what we should do but the more you perceive that all our decisions are to be based around the, the question what would jesus do that is our guidance and the closer you know him Uh, And the the more we reflect upon the Gospels, that is our guidance by Christ, by the Lord Jesus, uh, because that becomes the bigger and bigger issue in all the the myriad of decisions. What should I do? How should I do it? What would and how would uh, Jesus do it? The old uh, evangelical idea of having these uh, armbands with uh, what would Jesus do, WWJD, I don't think that's Mickey Mouse. I don't think uh, that's some to be despised. I think that's uh, a very good idea. I do not do it myself, but I I would uh, say it's a very good idea. Now, the whole language of the account, as I've said, is framed in terms of the Red Sea crossing. And in fact, in Exodus 15, when they pass through the Red Sea, and then uh, they, they sing, Moses sings this great song of triumph, In Exodus 15, he he seems to imply that your passing over here is kind of a passing over into the promised land of Canaan. Of course, it wasn't with the Red Sea. They passed over the Red Sea, uh, and they were in the wilderness. But if you look at Exodus 15, from 15 to 17, he talks about the men of Edom and Moab now trembling. All the inhabitants of Canaan which was a pretty long way from the site of the Red Sea crossing. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them, as uh, Rahab shows. They shall become still as a stone until your people pass over, O Lord. You shall bring them in, 17, and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. This is Canaan, the place, O Lord, which you have made for you to dwell in. So this all has a strange relevance to the crossing over of Jordan, into canaan it's as if this song looks forward to that as if even back then moses perceived that the crossing of the red sea was going to be in essence repeated in the crossing of, of of jordan and it's as if he sees the fact that we've crossed the red sea as a guarantee that we shall cross into jordan now the crossing of the red sea is a clearly a type of baptism a, Baptized into Moses and the cloud and the sea 1 Corinthians 10 so it's not simply that if you baptize you shall therefore cross Jordan into the kingdom but there is a connection there and I think the connection is in this that if you followed God through baptism and you have not gone back to Egypt you've not turned back but you've kept on in the journey even if you spent your time wandering around when you should have been going straight straight ahead but all the same if you've held in with him then, the crossing of Jordan will sort of be a seamless uh, will have a seamless kind of connection with the way he's led you through your life to baptism and through the wilderness journey that we're we're now on. so I think that actually they should have been expecting the uh, the crossing of the of the Jordan that it shouldn't have seemed to them to be something absolutely um, unusual because so many times they had been told that they were going to uh, cross over Jordan into the land how they were going to do it was not explained Uh, in fact I found about 15 times mainly in Deuteronomy, where God says this, you are going to cross over Jordan. Uh, You may like to just look at a couple of them. In Deuteronomy 2, verse 29, they're told to tell the uh, people of Seir and Moab um, that they were just passing through them, until I shall pass over the Jordan into the land which our our God gives us. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, 26, God says, you shall pass over this Jordan. Deuteronomy 12, 10, when you pass over Jordan, It's about uh, 15 references, when, when you pass over Jordan. And I think that sort of corresponds to the continual encouragement which there is in every page of the Bible, particularly the New Testament, that we shall pass over into God's kingdom, that we shall be there. But, of course, they must have seen all that encouragement as sort of just droning on, as Moses kind of droning on uh, with his ideas, yeah, yeah, you're going to pass over Jordan, etc. Just as with us, it can also seem the same. And yet the, the miracle of crossing the Jordan was actually required. It was a required miracle by all those implications. You shall cross over Jordan. And the the final passing through uh, judgment, that the day of judgment, that the final entry into God's kingdom. It seems to me that that is the uh, the, the the final uh, stage of our journey. But uh, as I say, it, it is seamless, seamlessly to be connected with the uh, the passing through of of the wilderness, and it is a required uh, part of uh, an implied part. of of salvation. Why I say that is that there is this uh, huge fear and phobia in so many fine believers about this day of judgment, this final crossing of Jordan, the final getting of us human beings into uh, the eternity of God's kingdom. Although it's not particularly emphasized in the record, you can be sure that Israel were pretty fearful of doing this, of going in To the land of no return, in one sense, and so that's why verse four of Joshua three there there was to be two thousand cubits, that's nearly one kilometre, a distance between them and the ark, and they were to watch that ark going ahead, and they were to follow the ark. And I think the, uh, the reason for the Ark being so far ahead of them was to, to be like a visual symbol for them, so that they could think, yeah, the Ark has gone ahead, I shall therefore follow it. And it's interesting that there were no soldiers guarding the Ark. There were all these guys from Jericho, you can be sure, hanging around the banks the other side, and the Ark just was carried by these priests, and it went about one kilometre ahead of them there was no bunch of soldiers guarding the ark in fact it was the other way round. the ark was guarding israel actually now i just um that because god doesn't need to defend himself and he doesn't need us to defend him and that's my uh, a slight query about the idea of apologetics of us apologizing for god <clears throat> desperately trying to find a bunch of scientific reasons why the Bible's true or, or God is the creator of all things, that God exists, etc. God doesn't need all that. He absolutely stands freestanding, uh, as I see it. Now, the the Ark, as I've said, represents the Lord Jesus, and it's tempting to see that 2,000 cubits as having something to do with um, Two thousand years between the time of his death and resurrection and our entry into, into the kingdom. The point is that the fact that he rose from the dead and has entered eternity and divine nature, this is the guarantee that we shall do so. And it was prefigured here by the ark going ahead. So that they thought, yes, the ark has gone ahead. We can all see it. It's well ahead of us it was not in our strength that it went ahead and therefore we also shall get through that jordan and this is then the huge significance of the resurrection of christ and that is how it's used in the new testament as the guarantee of our entry into god's kingdom now We'll only perceive that if we perceive that we really are in the body of Christ, and that therefore it is not a case of us looking at his resurrection and thinking, well, that was nice for him. The fact that he has risen, and he is our representative, and that we are in him, and his fate and destiny is therefore ours, uh, uh, and uh, ours is his, this really does mean that if you are in Christ, you also shall enter. And it's as simple as that. And this is the, the the huge, colossal significance of baptism into Christ. It's why we should be willing to, you know, to, to crawl on our hands and knees across Europe if necessary to to baptize one one person, because this is the. Uh, uh, well, okay, I know you can, as it were, throw it all away and and sort of get out of Christ, I suppose, but salvation is in christ and for those that abide in him they we shall be there really we shall be there because he has gone ahead now if we don't see it that way then i don't see quite what wonder or encouragement or happiness there is for us in reflecting upon the lord's resurrection apart from to think well that was pretty cool for him good for him the point is that our ultimate salvation is bound up in his and in this is the huge relief in the fact that he died as it were, successfully and rose again and has thereby opened for us who are in him the guarantee that we also shall pass over now He has uh, passed over, but uh, when we keep reading here in chapter 3 about passing over, um, the idea is also to be carried over, to have passed over. Uh, So it's as if we we are carried over in the end, not in our own strength. And I, I have said that the whole record here is full of allusion to what happened at the Red Sea. And, of course, the idea of Passover is the same Hebrew idea as the Passover. And it occurred at the same time of year. And you can work that out because Jordan at this time is flooded. And when does Jordan flood? It floods after the snowmelt, the winter snowmelt in the Lebanon mountains, which puts a load of water down into the Jordan Valley. And it would have therefore been around Passover time. Uh, verse thirteen that the the water was cut off uh, that's actually the same term in Exodus fifteen verse eight about the, the cutting off of the, uh, of the water at, at the Red Sea. So uh, I have said that the whole thing repeats just uh, the Red Sea experience because God intended Israel to learn and to have learned from that experience. And therefore to be expecting this to happen. There's an odd reference in Isaiah 63, talking about God's salvation of Israel at this time, that he did great things which they looked not for. And I think the implication is that uh, they should have been looking for it, but they didn't. Even despite their spiritual lack of perception, he still did it for them. So I think God sets us up in life so that uh, we get nudges and hints all the way through that what I'm passing through in this particular situation, in this hang-up I might have with a certain person, uh, this complex, as it seems, situation over this, that or the other, this actually has been gone through by somebody else, maybe by by ourselves earlier in our life. Uh, And This is, as I say, why life is not a set of random circumstance. Uh, And uh, you can uh, look through the chapter here in chapter 3 and see more and more similarities between uh, what happened here and at the Red Sea, like the way that uh, God says to Joshua that this is going to validate you in the eyes of Israel. That's just what happened with Moses. Um, Verse 16, the waters are, are congealed in a heap. It could be they froze, and that's again a similar word to what happened at the uh, uh, at the Red Sea. Now, this whole thing about the the crossing of, of of Jordan is picked up later on in the in the Psalms, particularly, and in Isaiah, and applied to what God does at our in our lives. And I just like to uh, like to just quote, uh, say Psalm one hundred and fourteen, this verse 5 what ailed you, O sea, that you you fled or the RV says, what ails you, present tense O sea, that you flee, you Jordan, that you turn back and I want to emphasize there that present tense not you Jordan, that you turned back but what ails you Jordan, that you turn back it's as if he's saying that that crossing of of jordan is as it were ongoing in our lives what god did then is not mere history but is repeating in essence in in our lives and i'll leave you to look up isaiah 43 verse 2 which uses the same uh, same idea now Psalm 93, verses 3 and 4, that's another one, and it talks about how the floods lifted up their voice, but God's people walked through them into, into Canaan. That's exactly what, what we've got uh, there with Jordan in flood, and God's people walking through the flood into Canaan. Uh, that, that's not really talking about the Red Sea, that's talking about this crossing of Jordan. So this flooded Jordan was uh, was quite a, a thing to cross. One Chronicles twelve fifteen, um, t- to to cross Jordan in flood is stated there as a as a very heroic, and very difficult act. It was when it was at its widest, and so we are all hastening towards judgment. We are all hastening towards the the final entry into God's kingdom, and in a sense it. Is going to be when Jordan is at its widest, when it seems hardest, when it seems that the gap between uh, between us in our mortality and the eternity of God's kingdom is is going to be drawn as it were in, in its most extreme form. And yet, as, as I say, that the whole picture is that no, that crossing of Jordan was simply a repetition of the crossing of the Red Sea, and It was a required miracle all the way through. God had been telling them all through the wilderness. We said there were 15 times when God tells them this, that you are going to cross over Jordan. You will do it. This is all part of the process that we're on. So we're not to isolate the idea of Judgment Day as some huge unknown that lies ahead. This is all just part of that seamless process that began when we were still in Egypt before we were baptized and is continuing now and the point is is to hang in there with God's leadership in the journey and the whole language of uh, water being gathered together and divided which we read um, here in Joshua 3.16 this is very much the language of creation Genesis one six and 9 the point is God was making a new creation out of out of them Uh, and that is his intention with us that we shall become new and yet on the other hand we are those that have been led uh, on this journey to this point so summing up the point is to to keep our focus upon the ark upon him who really has already done this and has gone through and has passed over and you can imagine every eye of every israelite focused upon that ark there was now no pillar of fire and cloud there was only the ark which i suggested represents the lord jesus and the two thousand cubits possibly two thousand years that he has gone through and it's not simply well that's nice for him but the point is that we are in him and therefore ultimately his victory that he has already won he's already gone into canaan as it were is already out.